The Buddha said many things. One very important, powerful thing he commented on is says the world is is caught in name, trapped by name, on the barb of name, designation, conceiving. Uh, but the target does not conceive. Uh, does not conceive of a, a seer in the seeing, does not conceive of a scene, does not conceive of that which should be seen, does not conceive <laughs> that the target does not conceive. <laughs> Therefore, he has none of that. Therefore, he is such. And so, the world is called in name. Name, Nama. So I'll start with the intellectual stuff while I still have some of that going. Um, is feeling, pleasure, pain, neutrality, mental, physical, subtle, gross, perception. Perception is impressions, designations, signs, symbols. You see something that reminds you of something. Um, you see someone that reminds you of something, you feel something that reminds you of something, mm. you feel something and you, you say, oh, that's, uh, and you, well, there's an abstraction, or you feel something, you say, oh, that's my anger. It doesn't have any words on it, but you experience something and you say, oh, I'm angry. And you actually feel heat running through your body, tightening. That's perception. It goes all the way down to the way in which the separate self designates experience. And it kind of works in terms of designations and organization, but it doesn't work in terms of liberation. Feeling, perception, what's next, contact. Contact and everything you know, is naming. So the various kinds of contact. The Buddha said the the, the um, really significant one is called Adivajana Pasa. And so again, this is language. English they've kind of got it down as designation impression, which probably sends you right into the back of your brain trying to figure out what that's about. The Pali literally means Adi is higher, Vajana, speech. So it's the speech that looks down. It's the the naming that looks down. Right? It's higher, it looks down. So it's the abstraction. It looks down. It doesn't directly in there, it's abstracted and it looks down. Mm-hmm. So, and this is happening in... in, in for an, un- for an unawakened being, this is happening, and it's uh, so that's that's the origin of these thoughts, which are telling us who we are, what we are, what we were, why we are, what we could be, how we should be, how we're going to be. It's looking down, trying to survey what's going on and to tell me what to do. That's that's the adivajana pasa. That's that's arising from that. That's that's the contact impression. Mm-hmm. You get it? And context, so that's called a sankara, it means it's a program that generates particular experiences, a formation, 
karma formations, another word for it, because it gives rise to particular forms. The, the designation gives rise to particular forms, abstracted forms of past and future, of me and that, of a very detailed, abstract map of who I am and what I, why I'm like this and who she is and why they're like that and what I'm going to do about it. Right? That's the forms that arise from this designation impression. And as I say, it's, we use that, and it's fine for organisation, necessary for organisation, um, pretty uh, tr- tricky when it comes around to meditating uh, and freedom. You have to handle it quite carefully, use it and then go in, you know, just hover on the surface of, you know, my anger, but go in there, you know when you have the capacity to do so. Contact, and the next one, attention. Attention, how is that, what's that to do with naming? Because attention is not a neutral feature, it's something that, oh, look at that, it switches, it moves around to that, which, why do I attend to that? How do I attend to that? What happens when I attend to that? There's a karmic inclination to naturally to attend to that which I feel pleasing, agreeable, possible source of pleasure. Mm-hmm. Also attend to that which I find threatening, possible source of danger, risk. My attention picks that up. Oh. And then the intention starts. Get away, change it, block it, move away. Something like that. If it's, if it's disagreeable, get in there, find a way to get, your ang- get an angle on that one if it's pleasant. This is what in- intentions do. And of course there are beautiful intentions. You know, so there's a possibility with what's called appropriate attention. Attention, remember it's attention is not neutral, so these sankaras then can be shifted, they're dynamic. So we can find something which our attention fixates upon with passion or greed, we can look at it and think, wait a minute, where's this going? I've been here before. I know where this takes me, kind of surge, burst of gratification, then, oops, the hangover. <laughs> if there is fault or another. So with deep attention, you widen your span and think, no, no, no. Or with deep attention, you think, actually, this thing is not worth that much. Yeah. Or with difficult experiences, say, I, I've, tr- I've you know, defended myself from this so many times tried to not experience this so many times, I'll just let it happen. You know, and there's that opening to that. You know, on an internal level I'm talking about to the negative thought, the anxious feeling. So attention that can be changed. We can change our mode of attention. And so, very, just encouraging this in meditation, the ability to focus narrow, to focus wide. And by and large, I found that a lot of what I call healing practices are to do with having a pretty wide attention span because when I attend to, to difficult things with a narrow attention, they tend to get more and more locked. They tend to get tighter. And I... I I make an issue out of them. They become, they fill the screen. I am this problem. This is exactly what I am. I'm stuck here. 
yeah. So the winding of attention, <coughs> you know, even to the body. My toes don't have a problem with this. My ears don't have a problem with this. You know, somebody widening, and you know that gesture, without abstracting from it. So attention can be shifted, both just that you might say even in terms of space, in terms of time. Just, just be, don't keep flicking away. Just bear with this. A little bit longer, just a little bit longer. Hmm? Let it happen, just a little bit longer. It's always moving more. Real processes tend to move more slowly than we than we imagine. Than our minds can figure. So you know, sometimes we have these difficult. Well, I think all the time we have difficult things. Sometimes we just bear with that for a few weeks, months. You know, okay, until there is a surrender, and then it can move. Now the intention, you know, that's that's really one of the most crucial. That's the last aspect of names of it: feeling, um, perception, contact, attention, intention. You know, intention is the last piece. It's the, mo- the most significant piece. The piece that we can begin to really acknowledge, understand, comprehend. And is there another way of of looking at this? You know. So what's my my intention is not a deliberate strategy, it's an it's a, it's a it's an impulse, it's a reaction, it's a response. Often a response to to pain. You know, and again the counterintuitive thing is pain, I embrace it. That's the that's the intention. Putting it very crudely. You know, there's a there's a tentative quality to that, just how can I get to a place where I can be with this? So you know, pleasure, I cool down from that. I just step back a bit. I know the power of pleasure to get me spinning. So just pull back. That's the tad. Not to reject it, not to deny it, but just know this is pleasant feeling, it does this. Whether it's mental, here I am, triumphant, you know, or psychological, here I am having a good day, great. Watch it. <laughs> so it's not just these pleasant things happen, <laughs> and this uh, stepping back. It's not fear. It's a sense of prudence. <coughs> so I know the power of pleasure. <coughs> I know the power of pain. These are the basic propellants of feeling that throw throw us. Right? We obey them. We may believe in logic, but we obey feeling. So I get to a place where I can at least have some negotiation on that. So this is an intention called withdrawal, disengagement, viveka. This intention is 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 necessary for freedom, and it's only a step back. It's not the end of the game by any means. It's a stepping back to a place where I don't have to get so reactive to. And then, you know, intention. Then what is the intention? So he's talking about a quality of uh, viveka, dispassion. It's like this now. I know it's not easy. Yeah, but it's like this. But I don't, yeah, I know, but it's like this. But how can I do? No, but it's like this, isn't it? <laughs> you know? <laughs> 
I shouldn't be sick. Yeah, I know, but it's like this now, isn't it? Ooh. How long is it? Ta- yeah, but it's like this now. <laughs> you know, it's that constant stepping back from the strategies and the programs, whether it's psychological, physical, whatever it is, dispassion. And that, that's a big, big move, actually. And in that move, part of my identity drops away. Because my identity is the doer, the fixer, the one on top who can make things happen. And that's it's not so easy to, to, to really to support and encouragement to come back to that realization I can't, dispassion. But then something stops, something ceases. It's this incessant nagging input of make something happen, get it together, keep going. Pull it on. Make it happen. People need you. People want you. You've got to make it. That nagging thing. (laughs) Stop. And then the last bit, relinquishment. Abandonment. And you can't really, I can't really find adequate words around that. It's not a strategy. It's not something I can ever do. But the process takes, takes the chitta to that point as my Identity begins to fall away bits at a time. <laughs> it comes to that place where it just... <laughs> and then there can be a release. And this is Nama. And the Buddha said it's with the breaking up of this that uh, one is no longer bound. There is no longer the binding. Now the Adivajana Pasa, excuse the phrase, is, is very much structured into our, our behaviour, we all know what it is, we all have laws that we obey, we have clocks that we obey, we have smartphones that we will obey, we have emails <coughs> that we will obey. Adivajana Pasa is blaring at us day and night, and we are jogging along, <laughs> following its, its lines and duties, and the way... That's the game, okay. It helps us to organise retreat, life and so forth. Do you, do you believe it? <laughs> yeah. And to what extent does one take it lightly and say, Oh yeah, we'll work with this, see how it happens. Yeah. Because this is this is structured in and I guess surely we've all been very much programmed into this to obey the rules, the laws, um, the structures, the social structures. And it comes down to very, pretty fine detail, you know. You're a man, you're a woman, you should be this. This is what these be, this kind of person's body does. This is what this kind of mentality does. And then, um, you know, you get structured into that for a lifetime. Whatever that means, you get structured into your ethnicity. It's not even, maybe thought as being verbal becomes almost intuitive. You perceive, oh, I'm a woman, she's a man, different, something. By the way, oh, they're in charge, okay. You know, that kind of happens, doesn't it? Without even anybody saying anything. Perception does it. Mm. We're structured. 
is that. And then there's the school structured. The class behave, learn this. And the academic learning is considered the highest. So the Adivajana Pasa becomes elevated to the extreme. It's the guys with the academic titles and the long Latin phrases and the suits. The great abstractors. And I want to be one of those. I'll get more pay. Money. 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 Money is the abstractor, isn't it? What is money? Can you eat it? No. Sleep in it? No. Drink it? No. Breathe it? No. Shelter in it? No. What is it? Nothing. What is it? Everything. <laughs> it's a token, a debt, a promise that means that it's never, it's never paid, never, never paid off and can't be paid off. And it, and it sits in people's pockets, you know, just on pieces of plastic, you know, it's just numbers in computers, and it rules the world, seemingly. Yeah? It's the great abstractor of all abstractors, and it's the most powerful force. Yeah? And there are two powerful abstractors. One is called money, one is called self, and they're pretty much mirror images of each other. And the great uh, self is, where is it? It's nowhere, you can't find it, it's everywhere. It sticks its fingers on everything. Where is it? Show me myself, where is it? Can't find it, it sticks its hands on everything. Mind, feeling, emotion, mood, body, property, land, territory, religions, theories, mine, mine, my tribe, mine, my people, mine. Sticks its hands on everything, and then there's the split. Money does pretty much the same thing. So these two things, and... You know how the energy runs into those. And of course you have to use these. There's nothing innately wrong with money. You know, it's a token. But when it becomes a hoarded status symbol, then it's made ugly. Rather than it's the means of sharing, which is its true value. To be able to share, to flow, let things flow around. To get stuffed in banks, virtual credit, this is this is this is a triumphant in that sense and you realize how much that comes down to real experience isn't it you know if you ain't got much of this money stuff <laughs> then you know down goes your food shelter privilege access to places visas transport medical attention legal systems education's gone because you haven't got enough of this stuff yeah. So something that's nothing can have such direct, powerful experiences for people. Just look at that, consider that. This is where it begins. Right in this, this Adivajana Pasa begins there. Strangely, such a small, seemingly such a hairline crack. This great chasm, the dividedness opens out of it.
So we must, um, so Buddha said, with the breaking up of name, there's the breaking up of the round of sorrow, pain, lamentation, grief, and despair, being bound. The breaking up of that. And it really comes down to this one point, I suggest. In this, somehow in this mixture of contact, feeling, perception, intention, attention, there. Mm-hmm. Remember, intention is not a decision, it's an it's a impulse. Much of it is re- reflexive. It's just this, whoop, there you go, you know. You know, to say things like this, you notice, for example, I'm mean, sure you're aware of the was it Stanley Milgram, Stephen Milgram experiments of the 60s, where they had people dressed in white coats, you know, actors wearing the white coats, being in, in they, were, they, were, they were conducting a theoretical experiment, you see. So in this experiment, one person in a white coat would stand in a room, he would be in a room, and, they, and there'd be another person on the other side of the wall, who was another actor. Yeah, they were both actors. And they and they get someone, the participant, who didn't know what was going on, so, oh, you're going to take part in an experiment for science, for the, for the benefit of science. We want to see, we're checking people's responses to a particular, um, how quick they can respond to particular questions and answers. Okay. So you sit in here, and I'm, I'm the I'm in charge of the experiment. We just want to see how these people, quickly these people respond to these particular answers. And if they get it, if they get the answer wrong, just push this little button. It gives them just a slight, you know, that slight signal, like kind of electrical shock. They get a signal, so they, they learn that way. This is the way you teach people. Yeah, so okay, so they get there. And the guy sits there, the question, gets the question wrong, pushes the button. Ooh. The actor on the other end of the thing goes, oh, and then it, he's got this lever. And he says, you can turn the lever up. Because <laughs> if they're not getting it, the response, then they need a little bit more of an emphatic hit, you know. So it goes up from subtle to slightly uncomfortable to painful to, you know, to dangerous to fatal. <laughs> so this guy thinks he's giving the person an electrical shock. And the man in the white coat says, well, please go ahead. He pushes the button. You, got it wrong. You, have to, you have to raise it. Really? Yeah, you have to raise it. <laughs> and <he> goes, oh! <laughs> Do it again. It gets the wrong answer. Oh, no. You have to raise the voltage. Really? Yeah, this is for the sake of science, the man in the white coat says. <laughs> Do I, yeah, you, you must go on with this experiment. This is for the sake of science. Okay. He ah! <laughs> goes on, and they said something like, and they go, Look, I don't want to do this. I mean, look, I'm in charge of the experiment. This has cost us thousands of pounds to set this thing up. This is for the sake of science. Please follow the instructions. And the guy would they'd actually crank up the thing to dangerous. <laughs> And then actors go, oh, bashing on the wall. Oh, no, no. And they said they found something like 60 to 70% of people would actually take that 
lever up to dangerous to near fatal because of the man in the white coat and the sake of science and meanwhile the direct experience is there's some guy hammering on the wall saying no <laughs> that's it you know and they, they were absolutely shocked by this because these were ordinary reasonable human beings the wall the glass wall you know the wall that helps is the other side yeah. the white coat word science abstraction yeah. that's the way it works isn't it so you know now if we come down to <laughs> so perhaps we shouldn't have mentioned that <laughs> <laughs> just back to here and now <laughs> into what we can be find ourselves our reflexes our ways of naming describing ourselves apparently somebody's naming describing me and I think it's me <coughs> and maybe it's one of these abstractors looking down I remember so just the line I was mentioning this, this Jules, Jules Pfeiffer cartoon it was, it was a lovely cartoon because in it there's these two people one is kind of taller and well groomed with a suit and he's got his mouth open he's like yeah. and this other little fellow shorter looking a bit you know he's got a suit that's kind of not a very good fitting suit it's kind of rumpled you know. and they're obviously having some argument or, or making there's, a, there's some discussion going on and you can't actually see what the man in the in the, the well-groomed man in the suit is saying. It's just the kind of bubbly like that. So it's, the brilliance of this cartoon is you don't know actually what the discussion is. But the little guy, you can see these thought bubbles coming out of his head. He's saying, his logic is superb. The next frame, the guy is still like this. He completely gets around everything I say. The next frame. He overturns every point I make. <laughs> next one, it's bubbling coming. He's completely devastating every kind of point of view I have. You know? His logic is supreme and brilliant. Next one. And this is bubbling. You can see it's going smaller and smaller and smaller. The last, last phrase he says, You dirty, rotten, lousy, stinking rat! The guy in the suit goes, Oh. You can see the kind of the, you know, the sort of energies that can build up around this process, and how eventually the emotional body comes up and wants to, in very rude, sometimes incredibly rude, and inappropriate mean, inappropriate manner, just does that and throws it off. You know, and that's kind of what it can build to. Oh dear, lost it, you know. So, I hope you kind of followed some of these little tiny stories. And uh, the story I mentioned the other day a woman who had this abuse from her mother and supposed to be forgiving. And I said, well, yeah, that might happen in a while. But first of all, just to address, speak to your 
feeling. Mm. How are you? How is that? How is the, just really come close to the feeling? How, how is it? Don't even give it a word. How is it? It's sort of, oh, shaky, dark, smoky energy running through my hand, left hand, up into my heart. Dark, smoky, black energy. And the body starts shaking, you know, and this stuff coming out until it cleared, and then it's this lovely sense of a. She did this, I don't know, for about two weeks, and said, There's this beautiful soft blue light coming at the end of it. There's a sort of light blue quality in the heart coming at the end of it. Yeah, I think it's it said what it needed to say. It's finished. So when we uh, begin to encounter some of these slightly shutting places, difficult places, don't go there places, I shouldn't be places, why am I like this place, these trembly places that I call the cracks, and then you, you know, you be, just be really careful in putting words on it, just the directness, because it doesn't respond that well to, to words. Words can take us closer to it, and then you feel the feeling in its own language. It has a different language, it doesn't speak English or Pali or anything. It just has colours, warmths, movements, tight feelings, and... You know, you just widen, soften, widen, soften. Find the space, find the viveka, dispassion, to, you know, let that express itself. Mm -hmm. Contact. So then there's the breaking up of the designation. This is one place, maybe there are others, this is one place where the, the lock breaks. And it's kind of somewhat confusing on a rational level or disorienting on a self level because part of your identity just to give up. Um, and then there's a widening and allowing and a flow of vitality and movement and we come through something comes through. This I can certainly say this is the experience I have. And I've known others have this experience, this experience I have. So I just tell you the truth. So the quality of <coughs> abandonment and surrender, and perhaps we, <coughs> you know, as a 
beginning to um, how do we approach this so these phrases body is not self, not mine it does its thing, it goes its way it ages, it sickens, it has these experiences it's, 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 it's nature uh, it doesn't obey me um, doesn't grow the shape I wanted it to grow <laughs> uh, it's frankly a little disappointing <laughs> And it's got news for you because it gets more disappointing. (laughs) 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 So, anatta, not self. And uh, this is the beginning, and then maybe even these strange mental patterns that I call myself and really not myself. Uh, And some of these we begin to recognize as socialized, conditioned in. Uh, Okay, so even you get there intellectually, it helps. But then. You know, how do you really viveka, step back? Okay, it's it's not bad, it's not right, it's not good, it's not this, it's just this. Get it, get the feeling of it, dispassion, stop trying to make it go away or push it away or figure it out. Stop neuroda. Let it relinquish. Means don't relinquish doesn't mean get rid of it, it means stop relinquish the time, the how long, the why, the what should I do, relinquish. And so there's a a trajectory towards that, because we can't let go. But as bits of me fall away, letting go becomes possible. A couple of little stories. I think some of you have read my book of my pilgrimage in India. I kind of get a little bit so tired or a bit embarrassed by this particular story because this is a time when I was being attacked by bandits and it comes out like I'm some kind of hero which, you know, I think we're all heroes, so so what? (laughs) Uh, But, um, you know, for those who haven't read it, the story was I was being (coughs) held by these robbers with um, who had holding me with, and they had axes, and they, they thought I was trying. I was struggling to try and get my bags off to give to give them to. They thought I imagine they thought I was struggling to get away because they started holding me. One threatened me with an axe, raised his axe to my head, and this was in a jungle in India. So you know, and then very quickly because the mind at those times moves very fast, everything seems to slow down in slow motion, interesting in these points of extreme extremity. There's a recognition, there's a man, there's three guys holding me, there's a man looking extremely heated up with an axe, like half, you know, a metre away from my, standing that far, not very far in front of me. There's no negotiation at this point, (laughs) you know. this, you know, it looks like you're going to get your head cut off or head smashed in with an axe. I mean, these, I'm saying it much more slowly. There's that recognition, sanya, perception, what else do you perceive? And then that kind of reaction, well, it has to die, doesn't it? This has to die. There's no doubt about that. And I've practiced this. It has to die. And I can't say when. And I can't say how. 
can you? So maybe this is it. Okay. So then what's the choice? The choice is to go without fear. That's the choice. That's the only choice. Okay. So how do you how do you signify that? Just put you move forward, lower your head, put your hands in Anjali and offer. So I to count not because I don't feel the fear, because I do feel the fear, I have to open into it. I have to offer. Recognising it probably won't take very long and there'll be a bit of pain but then I'll be unconscious. Man steps back. The guys were holding me. Step back. I move forward. I bow. I draw a line on my skull. I offer. The man with the axe steps back, looks confused, uncertain, looks around at his friends, they don't know what to do. Everybody steps back, I say, here's my bags, take what you want, walk away. Then I sit down, and I start shaking, Jesus, what have I just done? You know, you, suddenly the shaking comes back. As the identity comes back, the identity comes back and it feels quite, well, what was that? You know? But then in that moment, the identity is the moment of the death, and you realize you only have one choice. You have to die. You have to have pain. The only choice you have is to check the intention and breathe out. That's the choice. So this can reflexive, not not strategize. I don't recommend this as a strategy because as soon as you strategize, it's no longer coming from that straight, very direct place of that which you never knew, that which you wasn't pre- wasn't prepared. It just happened because you'd done your homework, and therefore the response comes up. And look at the power of it. My friend who, who struggled. <coughs> nearly got killed. They bashed him. He only escaped just barely with his life. Because the energy didn't change. The energy didn't change. You know? And unconsciously, or not consciously, unconsciously, just doing that changed the energy from one of tension, aggression, conflict into one of surrender. There's no conflict here. There's nothing to push against. And these guys just kind of... Oh... Well, it's over, you know. Take what you want. So you know, just designation and self and ownership and enemy all disappeared. Right? The enemy disappeared because there was no struggle. The enemy disappeared in my heart. The enemy disappeared in in the real life thing. So it's like that.
So you, you know, you <coughs> come to these these places where you're getting squeezed or pushed. I have to talk about me because um, you know I, I know this one and I don't. I was cautious about talking about other people because they're not here. So, uh, so something perhaps less uh, less uh, heroic <laughs> in its own way. Uh, so this isn't about another another boundary and contact, and this is the uh, part of the male female boundary. You know, which in monastic life, celibate life, is is quite strong. I think it's strong anyway. Between men and women, there's a boundary there, uh, for naturally, and negotiations through that boundary are to be made with respect and care and so forth. In monastic life, you really there's quite a strong wall um, around that on that boundary, uh, and the whole customs and conventions and traditions are built up around that. A particular boundary, mm-hmm. celibacy, non-contact, uh, be very aware of erotic, erotic interest and build a wall against it, knowing the power and the immediacy and the contagion of erotic energy when it, when it runs out. So that's, that's the basic sense of it. Uh, but then when you legalize it, you know, when it comes down into a code, then you've got this kind of law or rule, you know, to avoid um, co- sexually motivated contact, you know, generally with women, because they, obviously if you're gay, it would be the same thing with men. But the rule is about men and women. So that, in the area, makes sense to avoid sexually motivated. Or even things you might be something sexually might happen in that. So you're just really cautious about that. And the whole convention addresses itself around that too, to an extreme degree. Well, to a very strong degree, and yeah, that's okay, as laws go, I guess. Sometimes it's a bit weird, but... Uh, and then in the Thai tradition particularly is very strong on that. Um, so when I was in Thailand, you know, you can't... People, women, you can't even give a book to a, to a woman. You have to put it on the floor and then she picks up in case there's some sort of little wriggle that you do with the book to get things going or something <laughs> I didn't realise we were that kind of finely tuned but <laughs> I don't want to turn anybody on with wriggling the book but <laughs> you take these these things they make it extreme you know and the only thing is you know even in lay life the men and the women tend to sit on opposite sides of the bus and so forth and extreme but actually, notice sexual abuse is very common. It doesn't actually cure it. Sexual abuse is very, is very common and, and endemic in, in, in Thailand. You know, they've got these strong conventions, and Vanessa's in very strong conventions. Of course, doesn't stop, <coughs> doesn't stop the eros doing what it does. <laughs> so I mean, train, you know, trained in this, and then you know, I had this situation where. Um, a couple of years ago, I had, a, I, had a, I was having urine in my my uh, blood in my urine, so I go to the doctor. He gets oh dear, in a checkup. So you're going to go to the hospital. 
And British hospitals, like most hospitals, mostly women, the nurses and the doctors. Uh huh. Mm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, you know, take my blood pressure, my contact, you know, and stick a needle in my arm, pull blood out, okay. And then um, need to do some examinations. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 to, um, <laughs> so okay, so this sort of do a scan of my belly and stuff like that. So okay, come back next week. So I go back and there's this thing saying, Well we need to take give you a, a bladder inspect your bladder. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I think, well how do you get into a bladder? <laughs> you realise just only one access route, really. <laughs> and so they, call, they call it cystoscopy, which is a kind of Latin word, sounds fairly, you start to unpick it. <laughs> so I was talking to somebody, oh, so, oh yeah, I had that done a few years, I had a prostate problem you know, they, a few years ago. They get something about the size of a ballpoint pen. <laughs> really? I said, yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah, and they, they shove it up your penis until they get into the planet. Ballpoint pen. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> a bit intense. I think he was wrong, actually. I think it's the size of the filler of a ballpoint pen. <laughs> <laughs> Handle this one. <laughs> so I go to this hospital and think, well, maybe it'll be some old man will do it or something. Like, Please go into the waiting room and sit there. And there's this young nurse opens the door. Oh God! Please <laughs> <laughs> come in. And it's Doctor So and So. It didn't give the first name. Doctor So. I think it must be a man. Oh, this lady holds her hand out, shake my hand. And from that moment, I think, oh, I shouldn't touch her hand. <laughs> touch her hand. <laughs> I shouldn't touch her hand. So I got it. Suppress his chuckle. Look, saw it had the reflex, you know. Be careful, don't touch your hand. What she's about to do, I don't touch your hands. Give me an issue. Really. <laughs> <laughs> so, all oh, right. So she looks at me. She looks a bit awkward. You know, monk. They normally use the guys, I guess, with trousers and things. So she looks at me a bit curious. Oh well. Please lie down on the table. Oh, here we go. <laughs> so. so so you sort of swallow a bit, and then uh, you know English English people have a whole kind of language thing to <coughs> help to to diminish tension. So <coughs> you know one of the things they say, oh you know they call you dear for example you go to a cafe here you go dear here's a cup of tea dear it sort of means there's a sort of dim- diminution of possible possible tension, and then if it's a bit stronger say oh dearie oh dearie here my oh my love here you go my love which means. <laughs> This has been a potentially tense situation. We're now defu- discharging it. So here go my love, and then this nurse says, "Okay, my lovely." I thought, "Oh my God, this is." <laughs> She's obviously recognising this to be a huge diminution of tension here. <laughs> so I swallow. I'm lying on my back. Oh, okay, there goes my sabong. <laughs> and then we're just going to okay dear we're just going to clean you up a bit <laughs> so there's, somebody's got this kind of antiseptic gel <laughs> and there's this nurse rubbing this antiseptic gel in my genitals 
Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> what would Ajahn Chah think? What would, they, what would the Arahants think? They look up and they just all laugh in their heads. <laughs> So the other one, she gets this kind of thing, and she's sort of, you know, matter of fact, politely, (coughs) definitely with no negotiation, no compromise, she kind of inserts this probe up through my penis into the bladder. Contact. (laughs) (laughs) No men, no women, just contact. contact. (laughs) Lying there, surrender, just surrender to it all. (laughs) And his voice is... Would you like to look at the screen? And look round. This is it's kind of they're doing a video of my I've been inside my bladder on the screen looking at it. Wow, look at that. And she's saying, Oh, oh look at that. And I think, oh she likes my bladder. <laughs> So I thought it's this kind of crease down there. I thought, yeah, yeah. A <laughs> <laughs> little <bit> self-view. <laughs> so this is the Bladder Hall of Fame. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So I look at her. Uh, just think, oh, this is just all so goddamn absurd. Men, women, bodies, genitals, just <laughs> abandoned. <laughs> Do their, I think they're just trying to help out, do their thing, and then there go, dearie. Just check if it's still working. Here's <laughs> 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 some water, love. Go and see if it's still working. So you kind of go through that and you go back to the monastery and there's this woman going, uh, I want to offer you, so it's all right if I put it on the clock. <laughs> <laughs> Life is, you know, such an absurdity. And, uh, you know, what's happening really? And you kind of recognise contact. What do you want to call it? <clears throat> what do you want to name? And the naming is not for the intellectuals, it's an emotional naming, isn't there? An instinctive naming, and you say, "Yeah, yeah, I know, but can you just? That's not relevant now. It's over. It's not relevant now. It's over. Yeah. In this situation, there's clearly no <laughs> sexuality is not in this room. <laughs> it's over." <laughs> Just shift the program. <laughs> this is just bodies. People doing the best they can with bodies. <clears throat> okay, it's over. <sighs> and so this is something that made you laugh. But, you know, just kind of consider uh, where's the fear, the anxiety, the ill will, the, you know, Who's, where is it in the field? It's in all our fields, I'm sure. Uh, where does it end? 
you have to open to that feel the feeling what does it need what does it need does it need you to push it understand it, fix it, change it get over it, not be that way it just needs you to breathe out into it, surrender into it Mm. Mm. until the designation is over the enemy's over you know, the mother, the nasty father, the people who didn't, the people who did, they're finished, they're not here anymore. The conditioning is over. And that isn't necessarily a time thing. You know, we, we can go back to those designations, but you see what designations are really now helpful and relevant. And I say, yeah, I think to a, to a good extent, Designation men and women is helpful. It's useful, it's appropriate, it's sensitive, it's respectful. But I refuse to be frightened by it. To to let it get in the way when it's not necessary. But yeah, designates a useful designation as far as it's useful. There is a, a place to which designations go that's as far as it goes, and then, yeah. So it's something to uh, contemplate, consider. And it's, you're the only one who can finish it. So you're, you're the only one who can finish it. for your reflection. Interesting enough, men, tell you, when you get those situations, they say they want to chest you for testicular cancer, just breathe out.